All right, we want to say Happy New Year to everyone and uh, hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. And now we're embarking upon 2019, which is going to be an awesome year. And this is what I keep hearing. I was talking to Susan about this earlier this evening. It's not so much that there's going to come new, fresh revelation, but an indeepening of that which we already know. And I believe that what we're teaching in the book of Exodus is going to be a part of that indeepening. It's going to cause that truth and the revelation that the Spirit has quickened and made real to us to just be dropped down in a deeper sense and in a deeper way that we might walk in, that we might experience that which we know. You know, years ago, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, God is experience. We have a lot of ideas of what God is, you know. We see him as a man on some planet off yonder, 50 million light years away, and there's all kind of different ideas that people have about God. But God is experience, and that's what we want. We don't want to just know about these things. We want to experience in our life. We want to experience in our life all that we have always been in him. We all know that we didn't come here as a sinner, as religion has taught us. We didn't come here unholy or unrighteous. We came here upright. Problem is, we sought out many inventions, many schemes, many religious ideas that put us in bondage. And now we're finding out, as we go through these teachings on the series on the mind-brain connections, we're finding out that we are being brought out of bondage into freedom, but only one place, and that is between our ears. It's in our awareness. Mm -hmm. Now tonight we're going to go into Exodus chapter 3. We dealt with Exodus chapter 2 last week and talked a little bit about chapter 1. And we found out in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses ran from Pharaoh. Remember, he killed the Egyptian, and he ran from Pharaoh. Pharaoh was after him, and we shared with you what that represented. It wasn't a literal killing, but it represents something within us, how the, the left hemisphere of the brain, those carnal thoughts, those thoughts of judging by the appearance realm, is constantly trying to kill the right side, trying to kill out the mind of Christ, trying to kill out our exercising in the single eye, and our meditation. We also found out that Moses, now let me just say this, we are not, and you all know this, but we are not interpreting these stories in a literal sense. We're shooting the bull, if you will. We're letting the cat out of the bag. We're breaking a leg. What's another little cliche that we like to use? Well, that's how we're looking at these stories. We're not looking at these stories in a historical way, but we are looking, looking at these stories as happening within us. Now, I'm not saying they didn't happen thousands of years ago, but what I am saying that does us no good to know all of the little Bible stories until we can realize they're happening within us. And when we realize they're happening within us, then that brings it home and we can walk in and we can experience these things in a great and a mighty way. So we found out last week and the week before that Moses means drawn out or to draw out simply because he was drawn out of the water. And I shared with you that the scripture tells us that Moses grew in wisdom and stature 
just as it says in the New Testament that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And so what we're seeing here is that Moses being drawn up out of the water represents what I shared with you last week, how that the Greeks embraced five different stages of awareness or consciousness, or we could say awakening. And the first one was the earth, and that represents the natural part of us. The next one was the water, and we talked about true baptism. is not being baptized in water or even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, although those things are very valid. But this water, the second stage of awakening and consciousness and awareness, has to do with the washing of the water of the Word. It's the true baptism because we can be baptized in literal water and get our head wet and still not have our mind baptized. We can experience the baptism of the Spirit, and that's well and good, but still not have our mind washed with the pure washing of the water of the Word. So the first level is earth, second level water, the third level was air. Remember I shared with you, you become an airhead, meaning that you take no thought. The next level is fire, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight as we talk about the burning bush. Now, I shared with you also that Moses, being drawn out, he was drawn out of the water. He was taken up out of the realm of the earth, taken up out of the realm of the water, the baptism of the mind. I shared with you how that Moses also represents the child. Moses represents our right hemisphere, our mind, Christ's mind. But he also represents the child. And I shared with you how that the child, remember when Jesus said, suffer the little children or suffer not the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Suffer them to come unto me or forbid them not to come unto me. Why? Because of such is the kingdom of heaven. So Moses represents that child. Remember when we talked about Benjamin, when we talked about David, he represent, they both represented the child part of us. And the child part of us has to do with taking no thought. The example that I gave you is mom and pop can be talking about how they don't have enough money to pay the bills or they have this situation or that situation. And the little child can be on the floor taking no thought whatsoever, just playing and do, you know, doing what they were doing before. And so the little child represents that mind of Christ. That is what the kingdom of God experienced is like. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like the little child. And the characteristics of a little child, once again, is they take no thought. They don't judge things by the appearance realm. They're meek. They're teachable. They're forgivable. And so you can see why Jesus said, Suffer not the little children to come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, back to Moses. While Moses was in Egypt, he did a lot of struggling. And you know, if we have a struggle, there's only one place our struggle is, and it's in the mind. It's in the mind. The battleground or the battlefield is in the mind. So we need to think about what we're thinking about. Now, I also will say this. We are always going to struggle as long as we have the five senses. But it's going to get easier as time goes on. The more that we slip into the Christ mind, the more that we exercise the single eye and judge things by the truth rather than the way things look and the way things feel, the way they appear, the more we do that, the more we practice the spontaneous meditation and the purposeful meditation, the easier it's going to get for us. Now, Moses in this story represents our mind 
And the story tells us that he leaves Egypt to go out into the wilderness, and I liken the wilderness to meditation. And when we go into this meditation, see, I believe that when they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, which had to do with the churning emotions and the churning mind that judges by the realm of appearance. But when you go into meditation, remember it was three days, and three speaks of new life and speaks of resurrection. It was three days before they crossed the Red Sea, before they crossed the emotions and the mind that was churning and turning over and over and over, judging things by the appearance realm and how things looked, how they felt, and so forth, judging by the emotions. But what happens when we go into that purposeful meditation and the spontaneous meditation or the Christ mind or exercising the single eye, to me they're all one and the same. What happens is the solar plexus begins to release the energy and it goes up the seven nerve centers, the world and new age people call it the chakras, and it comes up to the base of the brain and it throws open the right hemisphere. There's a fluid, the fluid of life or the oil of life that flows from the pituitary or from the pineal to the pituitary. It is a milky colored substance and then it turns into a goldish substance or a goldish oil and that is the meaning of the land because we're the land of Israel, we're the promised land, so that is the meaning of us experiencing the land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe that the thing we need to understand is our bodies, God gave us this left side, and that includes our bodies. But we need to understand that our bodies are to experience the promised land and this flowing of the milk and honey in the lovely here and now. Now, what religion has done is pushed it off into the future. But we know it says in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we have a lot of sick people spiritually today because they're always someday in. Someday I'm going to experience this and someday I'm going to experience that rather than realize that our physical body is spirit slowed down to visibility. We are the body of Christ. We are bone of his bone. We are flesh of his flesh. And spirit does not see body and spirit separate. Our father sees spirit and body one and the same. But you see, we're all the time separating. And that is why that we're always pushing things off into the future, hoping to experience, you know, the redemption of our body, hoping to experience optimal health, hoping to experience, you know, all of these things that we thought were for someday. After we die in the pie in the sky or when Jesus jumps on his white stallion and comes back, you know, tooting a golden trumpet and we're raptured away like Superman. Mm. And it's all fallacy. None of that is the truth. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Right here is the heavenlies. He has given us all things, Ephesians chapter 1 says, that pertain to life, natural life, and godliness, spiritual life. So we lack nothing whatsoever tonight. So why could we not experience the allness of the Father and the Spirit in us now? There's no reason why we can't experience that. The only reason is because we lack the understanding and we think it's for someday. Now, in chapter 3 of Exodus here, Moses finds himself, because remember he's running from Pharaoh, and he runs into the wilderness and he finds himself in Mount Horeb, which I'm going to call the Fire Mountain, and this is where he comes in contact then with the burning bush. And as I said, we're not going to talk about these things literally, only to make the application. But let me just say this. 
Snakes don't talk. Bushes don't talk. Asses don't talk. Well, a few asses talk, but you know, as a general rule, not too many asses talk. So, so you know, just like Adam and the woman in the garden, you know, it was uh, religion says, well, it was the talking snake that deceived him. No, it was her flesh that deceived her. Right. That's what it was, and it was just an idea to her. And then when she gave to Adam, of course, he carried the idea out. So we're not going to look at a bush that is talking to Moses here. We're going to look at something that was happening on the inside or is happening on the inside of us. So what took place here is that he goes to the mountain. He rises, in other words, to this higher state of consciousness. Now, in the scripture, you'll see that there are valleys, there are hills, and there are mountains. What are the valleys? Low consciousness, thinking from the left hemisphere and what that represents. What are the hills? Well, you're thinking a little bit higher. You've raised your consciousness a little bit higher. What are the mountains? You've come really to the highest level of awareness and consciousness that you can come up to. So what this is talking about is Moses, he grew in wisdom and stature. He's gradually coming from the valleys to the hills to the mountains. But again, we're not talking about some man of historicity. We're talking about something that is happening within you and within I. Now, let me say something about this bush that he comes in contact with. The bush is connected to the earth. Hello. I've never seen a tree or a bush that was not connected to the earth. And what is the earth? The earth is this left side. Now, God gave it, obviously, but the earth is our earth right here. The Bible speaks of our bodies being earth, heaven and earth. Heaven is here. Earth is the outer realm. Heaven is the inner realm of our awareness and our consciousness. And so this bush was attached to the earth. So this bush has something to do with you and I. And it has something to do with us hearing the still small voice on the inside of us. And as we hear that still small voice on the inside of us, something begins to take place in our physical body. I cannot tell you how many times over the years after I have ministered the word and there's been a great flow, you know, of the word coming forth. And I would look at my hands and I would literally see oil. It was almost like oil was dripping off of my hands. And there's hardly ever been a time that I didn't sense oil when there was a heavy flow, you know, that was taking place in the teaching, in the ministry and so forth. What was that? What was happening and what was true of me in spirit, in that flow, in that consciousness, was true in my physical body. So what's taking place here is Moses goes to the wilderness, which points to meditation. You go to the mount, that means you go into the mountain or what? The higher place of consciousness. And you come to grips with this fire, which is the spirit, which is the fourth stage. Remember we had earth, the Greeks embraced the different levels of consciousness. It was earth, it was, uh, it was water, it was air, it was fire, and that then constituted the mind of Christ. So this is Moses here. And remember here, we are going to evolve. We are awakening, and there's a great awakening taking place in the world today amongst a lot of people. And a lot of our millennials are beginning to wake up, you know, left and right today. But what we're talking about here is the earth being the lower thoughts. You go into meditation and you come into the water, and the water then begins to baptize you or baptize your mind. You then come to the air, and that's where you take no thought. And then you come in contact with the fire, which is what this burning bush is. Now, remember I shared with you, I think a couple of weeks ago, concerning beta, 
being, I think it was like 26 uh, uh, thoughts per second. Can you imagine? Have you ever gone to bed at night and you couldn't get to sleep because your mind was just carrying on and you couldn't stop your thoughts? That's the realm of, of beta that had to do with the earth. And then the water, once the spirit begins to wash those thoughts, you calm down those thoughts and you come to alpha and then you go to theta and then you go to delta. So you can apply all of those. And this is one of the things that Jesus said is so important. If we're going to experience the kingdom of God, we've got to take no thought. Now that doesn't mean we don't think, but what it means is we do not take thought out here with the left hemisphere. Meaning, we see things through the single eye. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 6? If your eye be single, and I'm going to rephrase that a little bit. If your eye be single, if you see singly, rather than seeing duality, through duality, through dullness, if your eye be single, you will see and you will experience that your body is full of light. And what is light? What does that mean? That means that my body is the body of Christ. I'm bone of his bone, I'm flesh of his flesh, and so are you. I'm spirit slowed down to visibility. I came out of spirit. I didn't come here as a sinner, neither did you. We came here as upright, we came here as holy and righteous, we came here as spirit slowed down to visibility. Every cell of your body is spirit. Every cell of your body, your body is spiritual. But you see, what religion has told us is, well, our bodies are no good, they're just a hunk of flesh. They don't amount to anything, and you got to wait till you die or after the rapture, and then maybe you'll experience health. Maybe you'll experience a little bit of who you are, you see. And what has that done? That has caused us to, actually, I don't believe anyone can stand still. I think if people are standing still and their beliefs are backing up. So it's caused us to back up because religion has sold us a bill of goods that has never been the truth. Now, I'm not against religion. I'm just simply saying, you know, they didn't know any better. That's all they knew, just like our parents. You know, maybe they made mistakes raising us. You know, I'm not angry about that. They just didn't know any better. But thank God we're knowing better now because there's an awakening taking place as never before. Now, let's read a little scripture here. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3 because when we get to this point where, where Moses, when we get to the Moses part, he has ascended up to the higher realm. Why? He's gone to the mountain now, and he's in the higher consciousness, and he's going to be met by this fire or this burning bush, and something is going to happen within him. Now, in verse 5, I'm not going to read that. I'm going to read verse 7. But in verse 5, remember, Moses comes up to this mountain of meditation. His consciousness is raised, and he is told to take off his shoes, for he's standing on holy ground. Well, I want to say it to you this way. We must take off our man-made ideas. Oh. Shoes represent man-made ideas. We must take those off. And it's not so much us taking them off. It's hearing the truth and waking up that automatically swallows up those man-made ideas. Because you know what? He was told to take off his shoes for he was standing on a holy ground. But you know what? You and I are holy ground. You and I are the holy ground. And so we need to just allow that awakening to take place within us, and it'll take our shoes off for us. We won't have to worry about taking off our shoes and finding a new walk. It'll automatically, spontaneously, almost by osmosis happen. When you hear the truth, everything about your life out here that is represented by the left hemisphere gets swallowed up, gets burned up, however you want to say it. Now look what it says in verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen... 
Now he's telling this to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. Now you know what this cry is? This cry is the cry that we've had all of our life, whether we understood it or realized it or not. There's been a part of us all of our life that has cried out. You know why? We have seen that which has appeared as a contradiction in our lives. And that cry that's been within us for nearly all of our life has come as a result of the fact that we've always known that there's something more to experience than what religion has told us. And now we're beginning to hear that message. We're beginning to awaken. And notice what it goes on to say. He heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. What are the taskmasters? What, what is it in our life that keeps us building bricks with straw? As the Israelites had to do in Egyptian bondage. What is it? It's the left hemisphere thoughts. That's been our taskmaster that has caused us to be in fear and guilt and condemnation and have all of these left-handed thoughts that yielded nothing to us but death. Now, this meditation here, he's on the mount, he's in this meditation, he's in Mount Horeb here, which actually means a dry place. And you know, meditation is a bit dry. You ever been in meditation? And you thought, boy, this is boring. It can be a place of meditation when you're up on the mount and your consciousness is being raised and, you, and you're meditating there. And see, the meditation has to do with the right side, not the left side. It has to do with the right side. But he's in this wilderness, and as I said, Horeb there means a dry place. He was in a wilderness of a dry place of meditation. Now, back up to verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3. And it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Now this is so important to realize in what we're looking at here because notice it doesn't say he led the flock to the desert. It says he led the flock to the backside of the desert. Now, what does this flock represent? I've shared with you before how that you know David was a keeper of the sheep and different ones were shepherds and they kept the sheep. Sheep represent thoughts. See, and that's why the scripture tells us we're to guard our thoughts, for out of it flow the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart slash awareness, so is he, or so will his experience be. So what is he doing? He's keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Moses is. In other words, he's keeping his thoughts. He comes into this desert, which is meditation, and there he's watching his thoughts or he's keeping his thoughts. And as a result of that, what happens? The source of energy rises again from the solar plexus up the spine. And we can read about this in Revelation chapter 5 where it talks about a book within sealed on the backside with seven seals. We've been all sealed up with religion. And now as we have this purposeful and this spontaneous meditation, as we slip into the mind of Christ, and as we exercise this single eye, what is happening, not only is something happening in us spiritually, but it's affecting our physical body. It's affecting every cell of our body. 
I also took you quite some time ago to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8, where it talks there about Solomon's temple, and it says they made a winding stairway that went up into the third. What is the winding stairway? What is the serpent? And we're going to talk about this in our next message, but we have always thought serpent was a bad word, that it, you know, it insinuated evil. But you know what? This in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8 represents this winding stairway, represents the serpentine energy going up the spine in a serpentine motion. The Hindus called it kundalini. Christians call it the book of life and the oil of life. And there are other names for it. But you see in the book of Revelation where it talks about the book of life, that's what it's talking about. So it says in Revelation 5 that this book is within, it's the book of life. And what is the book of life? It's the same thing that you see when you go to the doctor's office or the chiropractor's office and you see the pole with the serpent. What is that representing? It's representing health. It's representing the energy going up in a serpentine motion. That's what it represents. When the children of Israel complained about the manna and God told Moses, take a serpent and put it on the pole, what happened when they looked upon the serpent on the pole? Well, it had to do with health. See, and that's why I say that the woman in the garden wasn't dealing with the talking snake. See, what is a snake? It speaks of the spine, so it represents the flesh. So it was her five senses that were talking to her, not some, you know, talking snake. It wasn't that at all. So what this is talking about here is something happens on the back side of us that is very vital to our physical body. As this energy from the solar plexus begins to rise up. And I say it's simultaneous with the moving of the spirit and the awakening and the raising of the consciousness on the mount. Right. It's all simultaneous. Now, in verse 8 here, it seems like someone doesn't know how to talk. Like they can't get their grammar quite right. And it's actually revealing something to us in verse 8. It says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I am. Why didn't he say, I have come down? Or I'm going to come down? Well, we're going to see this in the New Testament as well. Like Jesus didn't know how to have proper grammar either when he said, I am come. Why didn't he say, I have come? To give them life and that more abundant. He said, I am. Well, there's a reason for that. But here, notice here, I am come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. The Egyptians are always symbolized as the part of the left hemisphere that puts us in bondage all the time. And why does it put us in bondage? It puts us in bondage because we've never learned to live from the inside out. Religion taught us to live from the outside in by appearances, by the external realm. And it represents us living from the inside out. See, if we'll live from the inside out, if we will think with the mind of Christ, if we'll see with the single eye instead of judging by appearances and how everything feels and looks, you see, then we're going to experience what it's talking about here. It's going to cause us to be released from the bondage that Pharaoh, who represents our ego, kept us in. And that's what the Egyptians represent. Egypt simply represents the left hemisphere, the mind that keeps people in bondage of fear and guilt and condemnation and unforgiven. And I came here as a sinner and I came here with an Adamic identity and all this stuff that we were taught in religion. Now, notice there in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Notice the phrase, out of the hand of the Egyptians. Meaning what? Out of the hand of the lower mind. 
or the lower thoughts, because you only have one mind, the mind of Christ, out of the thoughts of the left hemisphere. And then the rest of the verse states, and bring them up. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. Listen, unto a good land and a large land, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And that is talking about the right hemisphere of the brain. We're a large land. See? And listen, when we think out of the right side, what happens? We begin to experience the largeness of the I am as us. We begin to experience the good land. We begin to experience nothing but the goodness of the Father. We begin to experience the goodness and the purpose of why he brought us here in the first place. Now, let me go back to something that I said way at the beginning, our first couple of message, when we talked in this series about an oil or fluid in our brain that is called the colostrum. And it is known, as I've already said, as the fluid of life. And it enters the pineal, or is secreted, just like the melatonin, it is secreted in the pineal gland and flows to the pituitary gland. And as I said already tonight, this fluid is a milky white substance. As it flows from the pituitary, or pineal to the pituitary, it becomes a goldish color. Hence it is called the colostrum. And this is what mothers secrete when they nurse their little infants. It's colostrum, and it has every nutrient known to mankind in that colostrum. And so you can see, if you make the connection between the colostrum that the mother has within the breast as she breastfeeds the baby, and you realize that there's actual colostrum or chrism that flows within our brain, you can see why that the ancients called it the oil of life or the fluid of life. It's very beneficial and medicinal to our health. Now, you know, we talked about the fact in previous messages on this series, how that in the darkness or in the nighttime, and that's why I like to meditate at night when it's dark, because in the darkness what happens is your pineal gland begins to secrete melatonin. And they're still doing studies on melatonin of the great medicinal, uh, you know, things that melatonin does, but it heals cancer cells, it lightens the skin, it balances the circadian rhythm. It releases or reverses the aging process. There are a whole host of things that melatonin does, and that is secreted when it's dark in the pineal gland. So it's very important for us to understand these things. And I believe that, you know, a lot of times we've seen the word darkness, and we've right away thought, well, that's just talking about ignorance. No, darkness is also talking about meditation. Because that's really the best time to meditate, when it is dark, in the evening, at nighttime. Mm -hmm. And the scripture, there are several verses of scripture that connect darkness with meditation. Not with ignorance, but with meditation. Now sometimes it's ignorance and so forth, but mostly it's with meditation. Meditating in a dark room is the best place that you can go into meditate if you want to do the purposeful meditation and it has great beneficial value to us now in verse 8 it states I will bring you out of the lower bondage of the mind or out of the bondage of the flesh up into a land flowing with milk and honey what is that saying for 
for so many years we read these stories and we thought, well, it was talking about a people in the Middle East, you know, thousands of years ago that made their trek, you know, into Canaan land. They crossed the Red Sea and they came into the wilderness and then they crossed the Jordan and they went into the Promised Land. And we interpret all of that literally and naturally rather than realizing it's all happening on the inside of us. It's all happening on the inside of us. And so we want this oil of life, this claustrum, to begin to flow. Now, I shared with you also that this is where they got the word from the claustrum, the holy cloth. Mm. You know, like the priests wear. And then it evolved. They had other meanings, you know, that they added to it. And then finally it came to Santa Claus. Mm. And they were so involved with Santa Claus bringing gifts that they forgot about the claustrum. They forgot about this, uh, this chrism that flows within the brain. And this is why they say, well, you know, Santa Claus comes down the chimney. <laughs> See, bearing the gifts, you see. What's the chimney? The top part, you see, coming down. And so they so forgot, they, you know, got so involved with Santa Claus and the gifts and the natural that they forgot all about this chrism that flows. You see, our body has oils. Our body has fluid. You know, there's a high percentage of our body that is water. You know, I remember one time I had uh, diagnosed with a tumor on my spine and they had to do a myelogram. So they had to put a needle up my uh, coccyx, the lower part of my spine, and the little hole never healed. Mm. And so for six weeks, I had fluid, because the hole did not heal, I had fluid that was seeping out of that little hole. Now, it didn't hurt there. Guess where it hurt? Right here. I had an excruciating headache for six weeks. I couldn't stand to look at the light. We put towels on all the lights in the, uh, you know, in the evening time and so forth. And it was like a, a six-week migraine headache. But yet the problem was in the bottom of the spine. Think about that. It all has to do, you see, with the head. If we lay our anatomy on the tabernacle, what would be in the most holy place? Our head. And, and how much, if you didn't have a brain... If you didn't have a head, how much of the presence of God could you experience? Absolutely nothing. See? So I believe the Bible is a book about psychology. Sure it is. I believe the Bible is a book about science. Mm -hmm. I believe it's about quantum physics. Mm -hmm. And science is finally science that is right yeah. and correct. Is, you know, you can just go to the Bible and you can match up quantum physics and scientific you know, things that they're coming up with today. And all of this stuff we're talking about the brain, it's all right there in the Bible. Sure is. Now, look at verse 8. Verse 8 states here that he takes us. And it says, into this land, notice, he takes us into this land, it says, flowing with milk and honey. But now listen to the rest of that, verse 8. It says, unto the place of the Canaanites, oh, that's trouble, and the Hittites, and Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, what are all those ites? They represent the thoughts that come out of the left hemisphere, and what the left hemisphere represents. And you notice there's six of them, and six is what? Six is the number of man. So in other words, you and I are always going to have these things, as long as we have these bodies, as long as we have these five senses, see, Jesus could never have been tempted in the wilderness had he not had a body and five senses, mm -hmm. you see. But he was tempted, what, by the lust of his flesh. And that's not a bad word. The lust of the flesh is not a bad word. Uh, think of it. The guy had fasted for 40 days, and his hunger was returning to him. Of course he was tempted to turn the stones into bread. Who wouldn't be? You see, of course he was tempted. But it was because he had a body. It was because he had five senses. 
So in other words, what am I saying? All of these six ites there, which represent man, six is the number of man, they represent those things over here in the left hemisphere that could be coming against, like Cain trying to kill, killing Abel out. Cain represents the left side. Abel represented the right side. And he ended up killing his brother Cain. Or, or Abel, excuse me. Yeah, and we see this all the way through the Word of God. Jacob and Esau, that whole thing there. Now, six is the number of man, and there were six ites there, and it represents those thoughts of the left hemisphere that want to kill out the mind of Christ thoughts, that want to kill out us exercising the single eye, that want to kill out our spontaneous meditation and our purposeful meditation. Now, let me just say something about spontaneous meditation. I've shared this before. What is spontaneous meditation? When you are confronted with an appearance, let's say sickness or financial problem or a marital problem or whatever it is, when you are confronted with that, the thing to do instead of being reactionary is to put the shut to the up. <laughs> Just shut up and step back, get silent, and respond. You see, because when you get silent, what are you doing? You're acknowledging this side over here. And you're realizing, I can't judge this by the way it looks or feels. I have to judge it or discern it according to what is Spirit saying about that. And what is Spirit saying about that? Spirit is saying it's already taken care of. So I have to enter into the rest. Now, these six ites, I could take you back to Isaiah chapter 2, I think it's around verse 22. It tells us there to cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for he's of no account. Meaning what? What is the breath? It's part of the five senses, breathing. So cease from the left side. Cease from being led by the left hemisphere, by the carnal thought. Cease from that side. Now, moving right along here, in verse 10, we're going to see the calling. In verse 10, this is now the bush talking, so-called, as if it could talk, right? And look what it says there in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about God's chosen people. We're going to bring them out of Egypt, it says there, but we have to contend with something here. What do we have to contend with? What we are contending with here is what, listen, what has been taught in religion about a literal Jewish people being brought out of bondage. That's what we have to contend with. How are we going to contend with that? By realizing that that is not something that we're going to focus on in some historical sense, but it is something that we're going to focus upon on the inside of us. We've got to move away from the literal Remember I gave you Galatians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talked about Moses and it talked about in Galatians 4 about Abraham and his sons and the things of the Old Testament. It says they are an allegory. An allegory. Not something, and I'm not saying it didn't happen literally, but we're not to focus on the historicity. We need to see these things happened within you and I. And I gave you the scriptures in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, where Paul the Apostle was talking about the true Jew, and he said, a true Jew, a real Jewish person, is not one that's one outwardly, 
But a true Jew is one that is one inwardly who has circumcised and cut away all of those thoughts in the external realm. That's a true Jew. So that's what we have to look at. Not look at some Jewish nation that was going through this. We need to look at it is happening within a true Jewish people today. A true Jewish nation today that is cut away and has circumcised the thoughts from the left side. Now, let me show you that a little bit further. In number, and hang on to Exodus, but if you look in Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3, and let me turn this chart around because I dealt with this before, and I'll give you a little illustration of this, but in Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3, this is a true Jew, it says, On the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. Now remember what I said. I told you early on in this series how you have Dan on the top that represents emotions. You have Reuben at the bottom, the south, that represents the physical. On the left side or the west side you have Ephraim that represents the intellect. But on the right side you have the true Jew. On the right side you have Judah. The Christ mind. Seeing with a single eye on the right side. So when you're looking north, what is the east? The east is always the right side. Mm -hmm. See, And so that's the true Jew. That's an illustration there in Numbers chapter 2 and verse 3 about the true Jew. Now, I also shared with you that this left hemisphere, while God gave it, we're not trying to get rid of it, God gave it. He gave you intellect. He gave you the ability to reason. He gave you logic. But here's the key. Here's what we have to understand. What we must do is not think primarily out of that side, but what we must do is think out of the Christ mind, and then all of that then becomes submitted on the left side. It becomes submitted to the right side, and then the two are married together. Because we need reasoning. We need intellect. But this can't just be an intellectual thing. It has to be a spiritual thing within us. And the intellect, yes, we need the intellect, but it must be submitted unto the spirit. Because what happens when you find people that are very religious and they could memorize their Bible from Genesis to Revelation, they're so high and mighty you can't deal with them. That's a fact. You know, as it says in Corinthians, their head is all puffed up because they have all of this intellect and all of this knowledge. You see, so all of that has to be submitted to this. So the two that are married together, now they're already one, but you see they have to be married together experientially. Now back to Exodus chapter 3 as we get into this. So my point was, what is a true Jew? One on the right side. One that is circumcised, one that is cut away all of the left-handed thinking. Now back in Exodus chapter 3, Let's look at verse 11, and we're going to get into this about the burning bush now. And I want us to see this. And this is something that religion is scared to death of. They don't like this kind of teaching. They don't like if you use the word chakras or kundalini or the energy in the solar plexus going up the spine. And the fundamentalists don't like this whatsoever. And they'll call you a heretic. Well, go ahead. I'm a happy heretic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a happy heretic because I'm beginning to experience this stuff like I've never experienced it before. So they can, you know, they did it to Paul and Jesus and all the others as well. So, hey, we're in good company. Now, look what it says in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Oh, he's, you know, doubting here. And we do the same thing. Who are we? See? You ever done that? Well, who am I? 
I couldn't do this, that, or the other. Well, he says you can do all things through Christ. So Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? In other words, this is what religion says to us. This is what religion has taught us to doubt that we never came here as a sinner, that we never came here with an Adamic identity, that we never came here unrighteous and unholy and as a rotten worm. Who am I? Religion has planted that into us. Who am I? And so that's what's happening here with Moses. Who am I? And God says to Moses, you are who I'm going to tell you that you are. And Moses, you need absolutely nothing. If you think you're inadequate in yourself, you are. You need nothing. You don't need religion. You don't need church. You don't need pastors. Hello? Hello. Now that'll get someone a little riled up and a little mad. No, we do those things because of who we are, not because we're trying to evolve into something that we are not. Certainly we need pastors, and certainly, certainly we need fellowship, and certainly we go to church, and certainly we do all those things. But not to get saved, and not be, to become more holy or more righteous, but because of who we are. Now, listen to this in verse 12. Here's the key for the burning bush. So, so all you have to do, what, what is he saying? All you have to do is take the lower thoughts, you see, portrayed by Egypt, go across the churning of the emotions of the Red Sea, come into the wilderness of meditation... And then you will cross the Jordan, which is all death in the left hemisphere, and you'll enter into the promised land. In other words, you being the promised land will experience the flow of milk and honey in your B-O-D-Y, in your body. <laughs> all right, verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Well, who's the I there? Verse 12, this is the key. He said, certainly I. Let me go back and let me read there. Uh, in, in verse 11, Then Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And then in verse 12, And he said, Certainly I will be with you. Mo, I'm going to be with you. But who's the I? We need to identify the I. Who's the I? Because the I is going to be with us. Now, in John chapter 10 and verse 30, this is what Jesus said. He said, I and my Father are one. So who's the I? Well, the I is the one that is within us. I and the Father are one. And here in Exodus 3 and verse 12, he says, Certainly I will be with thee. And listen, this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt to the left hemisphere, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. In other words, once you have brought your thoughts from the lower realm of thinking to the higher realm of thinking, through that meditation, you will never be satisfied with living in religion or living in the past or living in the rituals or living in all the things you thought you had to do to be more like God. You'll never be satisfied. And that's a real token. If you can say tonight, thank God. Thank God. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. God. I may not be where I'm going to be in my awareness fully. But thank God I'm not where I used to be. Then that's part of the token here. This is part of this is part of the sign. See, I cannot tell you how many times I have said to myself and even verbalized out loud to people, I am totally ruined. I've had people say, You have ruined me. 
From what? From religious concepts and ideas and all of the garbage that we had in religion. See? So now your spirit energy within you is saying, I'm going to do all this stuff, you see, that I'm asked to do, but who is this I? How is it going to be done? Well, look at verse 14. It says, and this, listen, this is the name, I am that I am. Now, the symbol, the tetragrammaton, or the symbol of I am is Y-H-W-H, and you know what it is? It's the meaning of both the masculine and the feminine. Mm. And what it is telling us is, this is the masculine, the Christ, and this is the feminine, and the two are going to be married together. Why? And this can be our body, too. The two are married together, and they're going to experientially be married together because I've come to the realization of the I. Of the I. Before Abraham was, I am. You can say the same thing. Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am. Sure. So what is the I? The I is the Christ consciousness. The I is the Christ consciousness. And you and I have an I. And I believe it's very keenly associated with seeing with a single eye, the pineal gland, I think it's all one and the same. The only way that we can no longer see through the seeing of the external, but see from the inside out, is through the eye. And it's the eye of Christ. Now, look at verse 14, the rest of verse 14 there. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, if I asked you tonight, who is the President of the United States? You would say, Donald Trump. But if I'd say to you, who is God? I am. Would you have the guts to say, I am? Hello? Hello. Not in and of yourself. You know, Jesus said, I myself can do nothing. But he knew and he only spoke what he heard the Father speak. He only did what he saw the Father do. Why? Because he didn't identify. See, he said, I am. Many times, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I, before Abraham was, I am. He said all these I am statements because he did not identify himself by the outer realm. And people who cannot identify themselves with I am are people that cannot identify with I am simply because they're identifying themselves from the outer realm, from the fleshly realm. That's right. I am. Now, I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not. See, because I'm not. But you know what he has said? I am you. I am you. We're not God, and we're not declaring that we're God. But God has declared, I am. There's that I am. There's that Christ consciousness within you. And that's why you need nothing else except live from the, out, from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Live by that I am. See, the scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. Now, go to John chapter 19 and verse 19 as I begin to wrap this up a little bit. John 19, and hang on to Exodus. John 19, verse 19. Jesus is on the cross here. And Pilate, remember, nailed a sign over the cross on the top bar there. And it says there, and Pilate, in John 19, 19, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Mm -hmm. 
And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But look at verse 21. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. So you see, who is the king of the Jews? Jesus didn't say that Jesus was. No, he said, I am. See, who spoke from the bush on the mountain? I am. Who speaks to us today as we're in the mind of Christ? I am. And what is I am? It's the right hemisphere and what that represents to us. In other words, when you camp at the right side, you're camping at the side of I am, and I am becomes the king of your life as you. And so many people don't, you know, don't understand this today because they're judging themselves according to the outward rather than according to the inside. Now, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. As I said earlier, why didn't he say, I have come? Doesn't he understand grammar or what's up with this? <laughs> he was identifying with the I am. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He's identifying with the I am and telling us we need to identify with the I am and we'll experience that life and that life more abundantly. Mm -hmm. Then he also said, which I've already stated, before Abraham was, I am. And you see, you and I can say the same thing. Why? Because we were in God from before the foundation. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the fact that we were saved and we were chosen and we were made holy. And we were called from before time ever began, from before we even came here physically. 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us we were chosen and saved and made holy and made righteous. God knew us before we even came into our mother's womb or were even conceived in our mother's womb. Before we even came here physically, we were one with I am. Remember he told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Well, guess what? He knew us as well. Sure did. Now, back in closing, back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15. And this is so important. We really need to understand this. In verse 15... And God said, Moreover unto Moses, thou shalt, thou shalt, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial, or you could say sign or token that he talked about back there in previous verses, to all generations. In other words, the name of God is never going to change. And so when someone asks you, who is God, you can say, I am. But remember, you're referring to the Christ consciousness. I mean, don't go downtown and say, I am God. <laughs> don't go do that. We don't do that. Whoa. But you can, when people ask you, who are you, and they're open to the truth and the reality, and they want to experience what we're talking about, you can say, I am. But so are you. See? And again, we're not saying we're God, but what we're saying is He became who we were. As He is, so are we in this world. I am. I could say Joanne the Christ, yep. Bill Christ, Candy Christ, Vernon Christ, Bud Christ, Sandy okay. Christ. I could say Christ, Susan Christ. You see, so now when we pray for people, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we stand in Christ's stead. So when people come up to us and say, well, you pray for me, I have this problem or that problem. 
Let me tell you what true prayer is because listen, there's no you know, sense wasting your time asking God to do something that is already done. And he's given us all things. He is all in all as all. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So when people want us to, you know, pray for them, lay hands on them and pray for them and ask God to do this and that, when I look at them and say, you already have all, what am I doing? I, just by saying that, just by virtue of the fact that I'm saying and showing them how we don't ask God to do anything because he can't do anything because he's already given us all things, what are we doing? Just by telling them that they already have all things, and that they're blessed with all blessings and he's given them all things that pertain to life and God. That in itself is prayer. Yep. See? That in itself is prayer. In other words, since we are one as Christ in the earth, I could pray. Now, don't take me wrong here, but I could pray in the name of Candy Christ. <laughs> in the name of Susan Christ. Why? Because I'm recognizing that you already have all. There you go. And they, listen, God cannot do anything more than what he's already done, and he's already done it all. And he said, you are, you are one as me. Now, look at verse 18. And they shall, listen, and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, we already know that three is the number of new life and three is the number of resurrection. So they're waiting for three days and then they're going to go, uh, or they're going to go into this journey from Egypt to the Red Sea, which is a three days' journey. And so where are they going? They're go Typically, what this represents spiritually is they're going into the wilderness of meditation and they're going to come out of that wilderness of meditation with new life. Three days journey. New life. And that new life is going to be not just fresh revelation or spiritual life in our spirit, but it's going to be the solar plexus releasing the energy going up the seven energy fields, coming to the base of the brain, throwing open the right hemisphere, causing the oil and the pineal to flow to the pituitary, and you then begin to experience the land which you are flowing with milk and honey. Mm -hmm. Now look at verse 19. It says, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. What is that talking about? Mm -hmm. Your mind's not going to want you to go. This side. <laughs> It'll so fight bad. you just like Cain killed Abel. Mm -hmm. It'll fight you. It'll not want... You to go. Verse 20. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, I will let you go. In other words, when the child, after we have contended, when the child is raised up, represented by Moses, when that takes place, when we live from the inside out, when we're not judging things by the way it looks and feels, but we're exercising the single eye, What's going to happen? This right side is going to convince this side to let go. Let go of all the judging by appearances. Let go of all the condemnation and the fear and the guilt and all of those things that tried to hold you in bondage. And one of our greatest challenges is that religious people has hid these truths from us. 
by making all of these stories so doggone literal. And what did that do for us? You know? It did nothing for us just to know the historicity of all of these things. Why? Because they did not want the I am within you and I. They wanted to control you. They wanted to get your money. They wanted to be the chief one in charge of your life. But when I am is in, the char in charge of your life, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a totally different life. Now, verses 21 and 22 in closing. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, favor in the sight of the left hemisphere thoughts. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her, uh, of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and shall put them upon your sons. In other words, they're going to be put on the jewels. And all of those are symbolic meanings. They're going to be put on, you see, the right side. And upon your daughter. So the left and the right are going to become one in experience. Listen, and ye shall spoil the left side. It says ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Meaning you shall spoil the left side. Because why? Because you're no longer judging things from the left hemisphere. What that represents. You are judging things by the single eye. You're seeing the whole earth full of the glory of God. You're not seeing all the chaos. That's what it means to judge from the left side, to judge by good and evil. When you exercise the single eye, you're not complaining about the government and the world and how horrible and all the chaos that's going on. You're not doing that. Right. You're seeing the whole earth already full of the glory of God. You're seeing people full of the glory of God. You're seeing people not as sinners bound for an eternal hell, a, a place of torment where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You're seeing people whole and one. You're seeing them full of the glory of God. And when we walk by faith and not by sight, where the outer realm is concerned, guess what? The earth and people will just awaken to be what they have always been. They'll just awaken, their consciousness will be raised, and they will walk in and experience that which they have always been. Nothing needs changed. Oh, it appears like it needs change, but it, listen, people just need to wake up. People just need to wake up. It, you know, the world's in the shape it's in because of people. That's right. Hello? And when people wake up and they go to the mountain of meditation and their consciousness is raised and they awaken, guess what? They're going to be what they were created to be. The earth is going to be what it was created to be. The very way that our Father Spirit created this earth. It'll just be. So that's the vision we need to have, folks. That's what we need to see. Yeah. And as we go through this and we study these different allegorical stories, we're going to see some awesome things, and we're going to experience an in-deepening of the truths and the revelations that we've received. Next week, we're going to talk about throwing down the rod. And I can promise you, it's not what we thought. It's not what we thought. Then we're going to talk about Moses being told to put his hand in his bosom and it comes out leprous. That's not what we thought. And then we're going to talk about all of those things in the next chapter, chapter 4. And every one of them are allegorical. They are things that are happening within you and I. Amen. Father, we thank you for your yes. presence tonight, for your spirit that quickens and makes these realities alive within us, that we can walk in them, that we can experience them, and not just know about them. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for this people. We bless you and honor you. In the name of the Lord, amen and amen.